Welcome back, Rams fans. I'm Vinny Bonsignor with The Athletic, along with my athletic colleague, Rich Hammond. And this is 11 Personnel, your Rams podcast. And we are talking about Sunday's 27-9 Rams win over the New Orleans Saints. It probably didn't go uh, as as anyone might have scripted, but it's a win nonetheless. I thought the Rams offense got untracked. After a bit of a sluggish start, which kind of carried over from last week's effort against the Carolina Panthers, I think Jared Goff uh, started to show some life uh, toward the end of the first half of Sunday's game and then into the second half. I thought they overcame some injuries. It's always good to get to 2-0. and There's obviously some improvements that, that need to be made, but hey, whenever you start uh, in the NFL with two straight wins, you're off to a good start. And Rich, um, I know you were at the game as well, sitting right next to me. Uh, your thoughts on the Rams going to two and zero in a way that we probably didn't exactly expect, especially with Drew Brees going out for the Saints. Right? Yeah. I, there's no a game never goes to script. I mean, that's why we watch these things, right? To see what happens and and how it's different from what we expected. But twenty seven to nine, nope, didn't see that coming. I I believe it was the first time since twenty late twenty sixteen the Saints didn't score a touchdown in a regular season game. Did not see that coming, and uh, you know it was it was kind of entertaining in its own way. I, I almost feel like if we got uh, like we got cheated, maybe a little bit because we'd so much been looking forward to this to this game of these two great. Don't teams say cheat these... with the Saints. Oh, ooh, sorry. Yeah, they're very sensitive. They are. The fans. It's not going to get any better after this game. So no, we'll, that's we'll for talk sure. about that <laughs> of in course. a little bit. But you always want to see them at their best, you know, these these totally. two great teams with, with all these stars. And, and then to see Drew go out so early, it, it took a little bit of the shine off for me just because I would so much enjoyed those previous games and, and the back-and-forth nature and those two great offenses going back and forth. But look, it wasn't, it wasn't perfection for the Rams either. They had to play part of the game without Aaron Donald. They had to play most of the game, more than half of it, without Austin Blythe, without Tyler Higbee. So certainly, the you know, the sum of the parts there don't equal a Drew Brees, given what he means to that team. But it wasn't like it was perfection for the Rams and, you know, all sunshine and rainbows for them either. So they were able to overcome it and, and come on, like you said. Uh, I, I was impressed with the kind of the tenacity that they showed and the uh, you know the patience that they showed to to not get frustrated and to kind of stay with things and and ultimately you know they stayed with it so like you said you go to two and zero everybody in that locker room will be thrilled with that but you you do look forward a little bit here Vinny I mean there were some injuries uh, there's some concern about Aaron Donald about Austin Blythe I think those two in particular so. Did we learn anything? I, I spent most of my time in the locker room. I, I know you went in to, to talk to Sean McVay. Did, do, do we learn anything about those guys? Or, or is there any concern about multiple weeks or any of this stuff lingering? Did, did, you, did you pick up anything that might be helpful for, for our listeners here? Well, I think the major one was Austin. Um, you know, I talked to him briefly. Uh, he, he was in a walking boot. He told me, you, you know, hey, it's more precautionary than anything. But then um, you know, Jared said it looks like he might be out for a little while. I think he kind of let that slip uh, a, a little bit. Uh, I'm anticipating that, um, you know, he's going to be out for f- games. And I'll just put a plural on that because, uh, you know, don't know the, the length of it or how many. But I think he's going to be out for some games. And I think that uh, Jamel Demby, who stepped in um, for him, uh, and I got a chance to uh, to talk a lot to, uh, to Jamel uh, afterwards. And if you get a chance to read the story, uh, up on the athletic, uh, some some pretty interesting stuff that he said, but also a, a really interesting um, you know exchange between him and Eric Weddle, and then Andrew Whitworth uh, joined in afterwards to kind of give you, you know, sort of a behind the scenes look at you know because you know you guys as fans um, you know you're curious oh my gosh what's going to happen you know when if a starter goes down and a reserve an untested reserve has to come in there um, and and. He earned some respect uh, in that in that game yesterday, Jamal De- uh, Jamal Demby, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. You know when you read the story and when you see what Eric Weddle's reaction was and Andrew Whitworth's reaction was, and so it was a good moment for him. I thought he you know settled in and, and did a good job, but you know now we're going to have to wait and see you know to what extent because there really wasn't much light shed on uh, on, on Aaron's situation. 
uh, or uh, Tyler Higby's situation. Both of those would be, you know, major losses. Obviously, Aaron Donald, the biggest. But, you know, he did come back in uh, to the game and, and, and looked okay and looked good. So we'll just have to wait and, and, and see on, uh, on that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, it's more about, like I said, Austin Blythe. That looks like it could be a little while. Yeah, that, that's never good. Um, but at least you kind of have an idea on that. Uh, the back injury, I mean, I think, yeah. you know, anybody who has a bad back or has had any kind of back injury knows it's just tough because it's not something you can necessarily put a timetable on and say, well, in two weeks, it's going to feel better. You know, it can kind of, it can feel good one day and bad the next. And I'm not making any presumptions. Let me be clear about that. I'm not making any presumptions about what happened to Aaron or, or what his situation is or how long it might last or anything like that. But, you know, again, anybody who's ever hurt their back knows what, what that feels like and, and how it might kind of linger for a while. So uh, I agree. It was, it was a good sign that, that he was able to, to come back out. I, I think we know, Vinny, that if there's ever any doubt with those guys, they hold them out, especially in Aaron Donald. If, if there's any question that he's going to re-injure himself any further or anything like that, they, they're not going to take a risk on that uh, for the sake of one game or one half or whatever it might be. So I'm, I'm fairly confident that if, uh, if those guys put him back in the game, that they feel like he can play and that they feel like he's not going to put himself at, at further risk. Of course, yeah. the player isn't going to tell you anything. The player right. is always going to tell you he's fine and everything else. But uh, I, I think the fact that he was able to finish that game is a pretty good sign, right? Yeah, and and Sean did say afterwards it was basically a situation where the back tightened up uh, a little bit. It just tightened up a little bit is what, uh, is what Sean had said. And I was actually in the locker room when he said that. I kind of came in afterwards. Uh, for a couple of questions that I had for some for you know uh, uh, the story that I was working on, so uh, I didn't hear him say that. Um, I would have you know uh, asked a few more um, follow up questions on it, but you know like you said, he did come back, he did play well. Uh, he was really he played really well uh, in that game overall. He was just his presence was just all felt all over the place. I don't think he came up with a a sack uh, per se, but I mean there were at least two, maybe even three. I have to go back and look at the tape, uh, you know, um, holding calls that, that he drew, which those are, you know, what, 10, 10 yard uh, penalties. So those are the equivalent of sacks right there when you're, when you're talking about knocking people back, um, you know, you know, changing the dynamics of their drives. He was, he was just, and he had a couple of tackles for losses where he just, you know, wrecked a couple of running plays. So he was, he was looking good. Uh, and hopefully for him, this isn't any kind of a lingering back issue because just like you said, uh, backs are uh, nothing to be messing around with, uh, so the, and the Rams cannot afford to go down any kind of a road where there's some sort of a lingering back issue with with Aaron Donald. Not saying that there is. I didn't get any kind of a hint that that's the case whatsoever. So please don't read into into anything like that. Uh, but just saying, the Rams cannot go down that kind of a road with that type of a player. For sure. And yeah, I, I thought he had a good game. I, I think it was maybe in contrast. We talked about last week how it was kind of quiet on the stat sheet. And, and again, you look at the stat sheet, you know, this time only one tackle. So you can look at it and say, well, you know, he was kind of low impact again. But but I think in, in all those ways that we usually talk about, I, I thought he was an impact player in, in drawing those holding penalties and even even the run defense. I mean, there was that one play. I don't remember whether it was Murray or, or Kamara, but he just he just swallowed the guy. Like you, just, yeah. you see his arms come out, and then you don't see the running back anymore. He's just gone. Uh, so Aaron Donald is so unique in in being able to to make those plays and probably smart of the Rams. I I, I noticed a bit more rotation even than than we usually see. Uh, at one point, I, I believe it was the Clay Matthews sack even. They had all three of those defensive line. Brockers, Donald, and Sebastian Jay were, uh, Day were all on the sideline. And so you you had a couple of uh, backups in there, and, and they were still able to make a play. So credit to those guys for, for being able to rotate and, and be smart with that kind of stuff and, uh, and and also be able to get it done. So obviously that'll be a talking point. Uh, I'm sure it'll come up the next time Sean McVay talks, and it'll be something that's followed closely. Uh, during the week, Aaron Donald's status. So we'll, we'll definitely keep tabs on that. I, I think something else, Vinny, that will be a storyline, certainly in the uh, southeastern part of the United States, 
will be another controversy from the Rams and Saints. It's unbelievable to think that there's something to talk about after the Shocking. game. But I know. Here we go again. So uh, to set the play for maybe those who didn't see it or might not know what we're talking about, middle second quarter, it's a 3-3 three to three game. Jared Goff holds the ball uh, in the pocket a little too long and gets hit. Uh, it's ruled an incompletion immediately that did not stop a Saints defender from picking up the ball and running it about 80 yards, I think, into the other end zone. The referees throughout the play were waving their arms incomplete, incomplete. And the review, video review, showed that, guess what? It was a fumble. <laughs> so uh, because the play was waved dead, they the Saints were able to get the ball, but they were not able to you know, receive credit for the touchdown or any type of advancement of the ball. They basically got it where it was ruled dead, which was basically, I think, the 13-yard line or something like that. So uh, very controversial again, Vinny, but is how much of this is just kind of blown out of proportion because it's Ram Saints and because we just finished talking about Nikel Roby. Uh, do, do you, are there going to be any lawsuits filed this week, Vinny? I mean, what exactly are we looking at here? What's, what's our future with this? This is way blown out of proportion. Uh, all right. I, you know, stop. I am in full agreement. Obviously uh, there was a pass interference by Nikel Roby uh, Coleman last year. He, he even admitted so, but you can't, that it was such a bang bang play today or uh, on Sunday with the pass with the uh, you know with the Jared Goff situation. There's no way you can expect referees, human referees, to be able to get everything right right there. That was a totally understandable missed fumble. Okay, and the the tricky thing with those type of situations is number one, you know, you go back and and try to get it right, which they obviously got it right when you put it on slow, you know, slow slow motion. You saw you know uh, the dynamic where the arm was when the, when the ball fell out of the arm. But to expect guys to call that perfectly every time in that kind of a situation when the when things are moving as fast as they are is a little much number one number two if the guy when you call it originally the way that the way it was called the next thing that happens is a whistle gets blown there's guys that are moving their arms saying incomplete pass you know they're giving that signal which signals to the defensive players the play is over and the offensive players the play is over there's nothing you can do when the whistle blows i'm sorry uh, but it, it, this one to me is being blown out of proportion. They got it right in terms of getting the ball to the Saints, but once that whistle blows, that's that's the end of the play. You can't go back and undo that because now it's unfair to the defensive players, or actually it was offensive players who turned into de- defensive players who stopped playing. They didn't go, uh, you know, and you know they stopped playing. Period. So sorry. I mean that's football. That's happened a million times. Uh, the fact that it happened to the Saints today in the aftermath of what happened last year, I don't care. It's 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 completely coincidental, and uh, you know I, I don't want it, this to be some sort of a controversy. And if it is, people need to get over it really quick. Oh, it will be. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any doubts. I, yeah, about I mean, that. I saw I saw some of it on on Twitter, obviously, and on on social media. But you know, that's that's one. That's that you're overdoing it when you start complaining about that. Yeah, it was. The call was was made incorrectly in real time, but it was an understandable in real time miss. That one was really hard to see. It took a couple of angles and completely slowed down to see. Okay, yeah, actually, the ball came out before his arm came forward. But to 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 just automatically say, "Oh, you blew that call. You missed it. You should have gotten it right." I think is overdoing it. I'm halfway with you on this, Vinny. I'm I'm 100% with you in terms of you can't, once it's blown and once yeah. you have a guy waving his arms and whatever, you can't then go back and say, well, that's how the play would have ended, so that's going to be the result of it. I don't think you can do that because there's no saying that Brandon Cooks maybe stopped playing because he saw the referee waving his arms and blowing the whistle. What's to say Brandon Cooks being as fast as he is or, or anybody else, Robert Woods, but you know, probably not one of the linemen, but somebody couldn't have run down the field and tackled the guy, whereas they, they just stopped playing because they said, oh, well, play's dead. I 100% agree, and, and based on that, I don't think there's any scenario in which you can give the Saints a touchdown based on what happened in in real time on the field 
My issue, and I'm going to be with the Saints and their fans on this one, is I think if there's any doubt at all, you let the play go. And for anybody who follows, I, I, I'll just say Premier League soccer. I, I don't know whether it extended further beyond that. But certainly in the Premier League, they've started instituting video review on goals. And what they've told their officials is on offside plays, for instance, if there's any question, let it go. Let the play go to its completion. And you can always take away a goal. You can always take away a play. You can't go back and put yards on the board or put ball movement on the board. So I agree with them to the extent that if you're that referee in that instant, unless you're 101% sure that that's an incomplete pass, that Jared Goff's arm was coming forward, let that play out. See, Just see what happens. Call it a fumble. Let the guy run the ball back as far as he can run it back. And then if you look at the video, oh, it was actually an incomplete pass. Then it's really easy. Then you just say it's an incomplete pass and it's third down or whatever. That's a slippery slope you'll be going down because, number one, okay, here's why. And I'm sorry to cut you off. Nope. But you're you're asking – I mean – you have to make that decision decisively. That's why he made that decision. He thought that that's what he saw. That's why you know he blew the whistle. That's why you know he he signaled it dead because that's what he thought he saw. It wasn't until afterwards, um, you know that that he said, okay, obviously, you know, uh, when I look at it in slow motion, what I saw wasn't correct. But he's not thinking that he's seeing things incorrect. I agree with you in situations where they don't know, they literally don't know, like I'm not I don't know, then don't call anything if you're not sure. But if you are sure, always make the call because if you don't, you're going to start getting guys hurt. Oh, I, I don't know if that's and all of a sudden the quarterback's mm-hmm. going to get, you know, destroyed or or run into or something's mm-hmm. going to happen, something bad's going to happen if you start, the, you know, if 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 you even plant the seed in a referee's mind to just let it play out like that, I think you're going down a dangerous slippery slope just call it um and then try to get it as right as possible in the aftermath if it comes down to it and 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 that's what they did so because the other thing is you know that guy picked up the ball after the whistle was blown okay it wasn't like he picked it up when the ball was just rolling around and then they blew the whistle they blew the whistle before the ball hit the ground it it was an incomplete pass by the time it reached you know the ball it was Okay, so yeah, I, I I just think that you know we're putting so much pressure on these referees that to, I'd rather they just make decisive calls, and if they turn out to be wrong calls, that's the human element of the game. I don't think we need to be planting seeds to just let things go. Maybe in soccer, I I could see how that works. That why that would work in soccer because you could always go look to check. You know, uh, in retrospect, did the did the player beat the ball to the to whatever you know whatever constitutes offsides in in uh, in soccer? I think you could go back and look at it, but in these type of plays, I don't know if that's the right way to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I I see what you're saying there, and slippery slope is a good way to put it. You you can't do that on on every call. You can't you can't do that on holding, for instance, or you know where you would say, oh, we'll just let them play, and then we'll go back and see if it was a hold. So, yeah, the the referees are are on the field for a reason. They they do have to be uh, decisive about it. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I get that. You can't uh, just leave. And I don't think we would want everything left to, to video review in in, in the end. Uh, it gets a little you know, overkill or a little tedious at times to have to constantly be uh, focusing on that. So, again, at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I still wish if, there, if it's a 50-50 or even if it's a 60-40 or even if it's a 75-25, I still kind of wish they, they would let it play. But I'm going to fall back to the same thing that we've said since – the NFC championship game is that one play doesn't determine a game. So you can exactly. say exactly the same thing uh, about this play that, that you said about the Nikel Roby uh, pass interference play. Was it a bad call? Maybe. Did it take points off the board? Maybe. But was was it the only play in the game that, that determined the result? I don't think so. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how that's uh, kind of processed. I, I have a feeling it, it won't be processed very well in New Orleans. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, I guess that's part of what makes it fun, and, and who knows what will happen the next time these teams play. And right? I'll tell you something, on uh, on that kind of a note, the Rams were highly, highly upset over the uh, blocking in the back call that yeah. um, that negated the touchdown by um, Robert Woods, right, uh, on the, uh, on the yes. screen pass. Uh, I think it was Joe Noteboom got called for blocking in the back. They were 
completely defiant afterwards on that. Um, Whitworth was just shaking his head when I was talking to him about it. And I know that Sean McVay was, he was not happy. And I, I, I talked to him a little bit about it afterwards as we were walking out of the interview room. And, uh, you know, he was upset because that's a play that he'd been wanting to dial up for a while and got the perfect look, the perfect situation. It went exactly like he thought it was. And um, I'm not going to say what he told me about uh, the call, but just suffice to say, he didn't agree with the call. So uh, he's not going to say that, you know, like out loud and in public and you, know, you move on, whether it's a good play or a bad play. But trust me, he didn't agree with the call. And not a lot of guys on the Rams that I talked to did afterwards. So you could go back and forth. On, on all of those, I get it. It's it was. I mean, if you're a Saints fan, it was. It sucked that they didn't get that right. You know, in in, in real time because um, they w- it could have been a game changer. Although I don't think that it would have gone for a touchdown had the whistle not blown either. So we could go around and around right. and around on on all this. So, uh, right. uh, but like you said, and I agree, no one play really determines a game anyway. Right. So let's look at the stuff that, that did happen that, that isn't subject to, to video review. Um, curious, mostly, we'll talk about the Rams defense in a little bit, but I, I, I'm more interested in the offense. Uh, it was another weird game. Um, I don't quite know how to process it yet, even after having sat through the, the entire thing. There, there were some fits and starts there. There were, there were plays. There were series that you looked at and went, okay. Um, you know, this looks more like the Rams offense. And, and then there were long stretches where they just looked a little bit out of sync uh, or what have you. I, I thought the best work the Rams did, and I know you, you talked about the story, Vinny, that you wrote. And I encourage everybody to, to look at that on the athletic website or the app. But I looked at that, you know, the, the Blythe injury, and it, I think that could have been a turning point in a real negative way. Uh, but one thing it did, and and I give Sean McVay a lot of credit on this because I talked, we talked in the last podcast episode about making adjustments during the game. And it was something that I thought he didn't do enough of in the Super Bowl. And the one thing I thought he did tonight, maybe it was a part of the lineman injury, maybe it was something else, but it seemed like when that happened, he kind of said, all right, it's time to start moving the ball outside. It's time to start doing some pitches whatever it might be, jet sweeps, they, they ran outside and, and just thought, you know what, we're not, we're not going to get it done uh, running up the middle or, or running you know, off guard or whatever it might be. They got a little more creative. They opened things up both for Todd and for Malcolm Brown and, like I said, even for the receivers. I was impressed with that, and I was impressed with the way that that kind of opened up the Rams' offense. Uh, what did you think, Vinny? I, I don't quite know... <laughs> Uh, what what to make of that Rams offensive performance? They end up putting 27 points on the board, which is not bad. Uh, they got better as the game went along, also not bad. Uh, but again, if you look at it, it's it, for the second straight week, it's probably not the Rams style of offense or production that, that we've been accustomed to see, seeing over the past couple weeks. So is that getting too deep into the weeds or what, what did you think when you when you watch that offense? No, not at all. And, you know, I thought that, um, you know, there, there wasn't much rhythm early on. And I thought Jared Goff looked a little bit tentative and, and just uh, jumpy a little bit early on in the game. Uh, but I thought, you know, everything settled down and they started looking more like, you know, the Rams offense that we're, we're kind of used to. And one of the things that I like to do um, after games is talk to the linemen uh, because they're kind of seeing it from a way that uh, their job is to protect it. It's not to necessarily attack it. Uh, like a wide receiver is going down the field or the quarterback is trying to, you know, exploit, you know, with offensive linemen, they're trying to protect and figure out what the defense is doing to try to deny everything. Okay. And so, and, and they're usually pretty blunt, you know, Hey, if we got our ass kicked, we got our ass kicked. You know, if we, uh, if this was going on, this is going on. And today what the, the general consensus that I got for every offensive lineman that I talked to was the saints. And this happens and fans need to understand this. It was it was a surprise defense that the that the Saints uh, opened up with, and it took a little while for the Rams to get um, adjusted to it from a protection standpoint. And most everything that happens, I mean, we all know what Jared Goff can do when he sits in a clean pocket. He could typically you know dice a team up, but when he's not like a lot of other quarterbacks, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. When when Todd Gurley has open holes to run through, he's going to be really good. Uh, when it's not the case that that's not the case, he's not going to be as good. It's just the way football is. That's obvious. 
So they were not getting it blocked early on. There were things that the defense was doing up front um, and on the second level that were giving the Rams trouble. They had to figure out how to how to begin, you know, protecting that. And they did. And I think that once the offensive line got squared away, I think you saw. And like you said, there were some schematic things that the Rams adjusted to Uh, Sean McVay's play calls. Um, you know, uh, reflected that. So it was kind of a combination of, hey, let's figure out what's going on here and let's start attacking it better. And I think that that's what happened. Now, there was a lot of frustration uh, toward the end of that, especially toward the end of that first half. They were starting to move the ball. That fumble happened on a drive where they were they were finding a rhythm. And, you know, it wasn't very soon after Demby had to replace Blythe, and I'm not putting it on uh, Demby on the, uh, on the fumble, uh, but that was like what two plays after after he went in, so there was a little yeah. bit of disruption on the offensive line uh, right there. And I think I have to go back and look, but uh, was that the drive that they scored the touchdown that got taken back on the on the penalty? It might. It was. Have... It was the play okay. before Austin got hurt. Actually, um, yeah. Right. Okay. Right there you go. That. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's think about that for a second. You know, if if that touchdown gets scored, mm-hmm. the, if you're saying that the touchdown was the play after. Dem, or, uh, Austin before. Went, if they score before. a touchdown, he doesn't need to be out on the field for that next play that he got hurt. So it's right. crazy when you think about that. I went down a, <laughs> on, on a little tangent there. But, no. but yeah, so um, th- that was a drive where they were actually starting to look good. And, um, you know, they cashed in with a touchdown that got taken away, frustrating. But they were feeling pretty good about themselves. And that carried over, you know, into the second half. They ended up the, the next drive went for a field goal. They were disappointed. They wanted to get a touchdown on that on that. Uh, you know, on that drive. But then after that, they were pretty spot on um, as far as an offense when they when they got into the second half. And a, a lot of that was because they kind of started to figure out what the Saints were doing. And I and again, to me, you know, just fans need to understand. I know there's a lot of frustration. We we feel it on, on you know, on social media. What's going on? We stink. We, we're terrible. Just sometimes you have to have a little bit of patience. I'm not saying this is always the case, but it, today it seemed to be that there was just some adjustments that needed to make, and they ended up making them. Right. That drive you're talking about, Vinny, that was Jared, 12-yard completion to Cooper Cup, 18-yard right. completion to Tyler Higby, another 15-yarder to Cooper Cup. That's what got them deep into Saints territory before you know things started to break down a little bit and, and that block in the back and the injury and, and such. So they were definitely moving the ball there and definitely were getting into some rhythm. Jared's game... Uh, you look at the stats, uh, 19 of 28, 283, one touchdown, zero picks. Uh, pretty good. There were there were moments there where I, I thought he looked a little unsettled in the pocket. His, his feet were moving a little bit. I, I don't know whether he was keeping his eyes down the field as, as much as you would like to see. But in the end, not bad. No, uh, he, uh-huh. Considering, again, that he lost a lineman, you did have the fumble, uh, and uh, if I'm remembering the play correctly, that was one where he just he kind of held on to it for too long. You can't you can't sit back there, especially you know when you've just lost your left guard. Uh, right. You probably have to be a little bit more uh, cognizant of what's going on there. But right guard, in, right guard. Sorry, uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry about that, Joe. Uh, but in terms of decisions with the ball, I thought he was fine. He didn't. He wasn't putting the ball in bad places. He wasn't throwing it into double coverage. Uh, he was making good decisions with it. And, and I think that's important to see when maybe you do get a little frustrated as a quarterback and maybe you're not moving the ball the way that you're accustomed to, uh, that you don't do those kind of things. I don't want to bring the Chargers into it too much because I know how Rams fans feel about that. But if you watch the end of the Chargers game, you're talking about Philip Rivers, a guy who's you know as accomplished as you can get as, as an individual. What did he do? They had the ball... They only needed a field goal to tie it, and he forced the ball into the end zone into double coverage and, and got intercepted uh, because he got a little frustrated maybe. He wasn't sure about the way his team was performing, and you know he tried to do something that was a little rash and, and ended up costing the team a chance to, to tie or even win the game. Kirk Cousins with the Vikings, you know, they're they're down by uh, you know a touchdown basically wins the game for them. Uh, they've I think it's first and goal or or somewhere along you know there. He throws an idiotic pass into the end zone that gets intercepted uh, intercepted on first down. He had three more cracks at it to score the touchdown, and it's like, what are you doing? All he had to do was throw it away. I mean, right. so when you start talking about uh, protecting the ball, and 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 Jared's been really pretty good at that. 
that's an important trait. <laughs> you know, it's yes. it, it's such an important trait when you're not killing your own team with bonehead plays. And and you know, I, I'm I respect Philip Rivers as much as anyone, but he's prone to doing that sometimes. Yeah. You know, he he makes mistakes like that. And and you know, I give credit to Jared even when he's struggling. He's usually not killing you. You know, right. in, in that sort of a way. Right. I think you talk to any coach, they would tell you, certainly you want it. You want those big splash plays. You want that big 57 yard reception to Brandon Cooks. But all in all, you, you want your quarterback to keep his head. You don't want him to be out there you know, making mistakes and feeling forced and rushed and, and putting the ball in bad places. I, you know, we did see that from Jared in his rookie year. And then that's the sort of thing that kind of caused some of this, you know, perception of him. Uh, but I, I don't think it's been a long time since since we've seen it. Uh, pop up and, and I thought today was a good example of even if things aren't going quite your way that you can still you know uh, keep your head and and keep the ball moving even if it's not moving the way you would want it to uh, speaking of that Todd Gurley so another uh, you know again I don't know what to make of these games I got to be honest with you 16 carries 63 yards one touchdown uh, he had three catches for four yards so really that didn't go in dropped at one all. too Dropped one, so that did not help. We talked on the last podcast about getting him involved in the pass game. You just you didn't see it there, whether it's team scheming for that or whatever. It, it just wasn't there. Vinny, we saw the burst again at times. Uh, he had a couple of very nice runs where he, you know, you saw him kind of turn on the Jets the way that we're used to seeing Todd Gurley. Uh, you didn't see a whole lot between the tackles. You saw Malcolm Brown again sprinkled in, and I thought, based on the way the style of the game was going, Vinny, I, I was almost looking for more Malcolm Brown, and I don't say that to be disparaging toward Todd. It's just I, th- I thought Malcolm was able to kind of pick his spots a little bit inside better. He was kind of bouncing left and right, and you know, depending on the blocking or where the defenders were, he was he was making those little cuts that you that you need to make inside to get that extra two or three yards. So I, I, I don't know. It was, it was a little interesting, Vinny. I, I, I read what what Sean said, and he was asked specifically, you know, is this the quote unquote new normal for Todd? And and he kind of punted the question like, well, you know, we'll see, <laughs> you know, every, every game is different. So again, Vinny, I, I feel the exact same way as last week. I mean, what are, what are we supposed to make of this? I mean, what, what is your, your kind of takeaway from, from Todd Gurley's game tonight? Um, I think this is the new way of trying to win football games. <laughs> For the Los Angeles Rams, and I think yeah. you know, and I, I, in talking to Sean McVay, that's his number one goal um, is to try to win games, and and not every game is going to play out like every other game, um, and 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 I can't stress enough how that's the bottom line is to win the football game, and on top of that, you throw in. Oh, by the way, we have to preserve Todd Gurley. Okay, that's just the mandate, basically. Let's that's let's not. Let's just cut to the chase. That's what it is. They're trying to preserve Todd Gurley for this season and and the seasons to to come. And so they're cha- they've changed up how they use him. But I I still don't think there's like some master plan that this is exactly what it has to look like. I think that it's preserving Todd Gurley slash win the damn football game and by any means necessary. So it's gonna change from week to week. But I think. As long as you, you know, obviously they're they're setting aside particular series where he's just parked on the sideline. That's it. You're not going to see him. It's going to be Malcolm's turn to run. I think that's the best thing that they could do is be disciplined with that plan. Maybe even go into a game and saying these these are the first half series. Maybe even the first three quarters. These are going to be the series that we're just going to designate as Brown, you know, Malcolm Brown series, and stick to that so that at the end of the season. You've pretty, you, you know, you, you've been able to 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 stay on top of the usage a little bit better than you have in the past, um, while also leaving open the possibility in the fourth quarter it might be all, you know, it's it's whatever we need to do to win the football game is what we're going to do, and if that means you know Todd's going to get 15 carries in the fourth quarter, so be it. Uh, we did what we had to do earlier in the game. It's now time to win the darn thing, and we may have to lean. A little, a little more heavy into him in, in this fourth quarter than we did, uh, you know, earlier in the game. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of how I see it. Preserve Todd Gurley slash win the game, and however that kind of plays out from a game to game basis, we're just gonna have to see on a game to game basis. 
Yeah, I, I didn't think watching it, it didn't feel weird to me. It didn't feel right. forced. Uh, and, and I think we would notice if it was. It, it felt like a good flow as far as that's concerned. And I think a lot of this, we've probably said it before, but it's probably worth saying again, a lot of this depends on Malcolm Brown, too. If, if he can go in there and be effective, then it kind of reduces the blood pressure of everybody. from Sean And McVay he is right Gurley. now, too. He is. Yeah, he's running well. And uh, again, I thought even at times when the Saints were making it fairly tough up front, he was still able to show that that good footwork, I thought. and He's got a wiggle about him. He does. Yeah, you know what? And I didn't know that really about it. We didn't see him a whole lot. Uh, We saw it a little bit. You remember that play last year? I can't remember where it was, but he basically danced along the sideline there after he caught a a touchdown pass. And I guess that should have been a hint that uh, the guy's got pretty good feet, you know. For Well, if I could call a quick timeout here, Mm -hmm. because this is what I've been been meaning to to say this, is that I think this isn't just going to help Todd Gurley. It's going to help Malcolm Brown, because I think the more carries he gets, the better he's going to get. And because, uh, you know, I remember I happened to talk to Eric Dickerson the other day, you know, and he had just kind of called me in to talk about things. And, and you know, and he was talking about how important it is for a running back to, to have rhythm, to get a rhythm, to get into a rhythm. You know, so uh, that's something that the Rams are going to have to be careful with with Todd, because you do. You have to have carries and maybe a couple three four carries in a row to be able to start getting your rhythm and seeing things and all that well I think Malcolm for the first time in his career is going to probably get some of those opportunities to be able to find a rhythm and as we've seen and we saw in Sunday's game when he finds a rhythm he's pretty good he could be an effective running back so this could all work out where you're preserving, you're winning games, you're developing another really a, a solid backup running back that you can that, that that you can lean on. So this could be a real positive for on a number of different levels. For sure, yeah, I've been impressed. Only six carries uh, against the Saints, so so not a huge sample size, but I think what what we saw was pretty good. So I'm curious to see how that evolves, and uh, I think he's up to it. So I guess yeah. we'll find out. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the defense because I well, I think first of all, mm-hmm. Cooper Cup. Can we yeah, can yeah. we give a shout out to Cooper yeah, Cup real quick? Yeah, amazing. How about I, that play? I, I, it's almost like. Uh, I don't even I hesitate to say this because I know who we're talking about here. But like, do you remember the the, the OJ run, you know, the, the famous OJ run where he's just yes. like, kind of crossing the field and making guys, like uh, it almost gave me a vision of that. It's like Cooper Cup is out there throwing stiff arms and like breaking tackles and cutting back across the field. And uh, what a play. I mean, my goodness. And, you know, he was the first one to say it. But, you know, Brandon Cooks and, and Robert Woods down there. Uh, throwing blocks too, oh, to yeah, open for that sure. up a little bit. But wow, I mean, one in a game that didn't have a lot of electrifying moments, uh, that that certainly was one, wasn't it? I mean, it was just a straight football play, and and I think that you know going all the way back to the, when the Rams, you know, were were digging into him during the draft process, and they loved him, loved him from way back, and um, and they were just. They knew that if they knew that they would never have a chance to to, to draft him whatsoever, because remember they didn't have their first round pick that year, and they had a low second round pick, a lowish second round pick. Um, they felt like, you know, something's going to have to happen for him to fall to where we want to draft him, and lo and behold, you know, his slow forty time at the combine, which. You know, Leslie was telling me we were popping champagne bottles. We knew, okay, right. <laughs> everyone's not going to there because of the antiquated way that people look at, you know, how they how they um, you know uh, uh, look into players and, and value players and value speed and everything like that. When you're never running a forty yard dash straight down the field for crying out loud, or yeah. rarely do. What that play was yesterday was just a football play. He's plenty fast enough. We all know that. He's tough. He's got vision. He can move around. I mean, it was just that was a thing of beauty. I have to admit, I don't you know go there that often, but that thing, that was a, a pretty fun play to watch. It was. That's a, that's a play you'd want to watch again, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I'd like to talk about Cooper more in, in future episodes because I got some really sure. interesting insight even from Andrew Whitworth today talking about how 
Um, even he's Cooper even looks for ways to help in the run game. Like Whitworth was saying, he's, he's even going in there saying, how can I, how can I help run block better? How can I, you know, what, what can we do to put me in better situations to help with run blocking? And stuff? and we've, we've already heard the stories of how he sits in the quarterbacks meetings and, and, and everything else. So I, I get the feeling that, uh, he's probably has a long playing career ahead of him, but I, I get the distinct feeling that, that we're going to be seeing offensive coordinator Cooper Cup uh, somewhere in his future, or maybe even a head coach Cooper Cup down the line. So uh, that's that's something to watch. But but let, we, we'd be remiss if yes. we didn't talk about the defense a, a little bit here. And, you know, probably not too much just because I think we agree, Vinny. You have to put a huge asterisk on on this game um, when you when you talk about not having Drew Brees on the field. And I happen to like Teddy Bridgewater, and I know you do too. I don't. I don't think he's a you know he's a scrub. I don't think he's you know a terrible quarterback. But everybody would agree. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not Drew Brees. So when when you take Drew Brees out and put in Teddy Bridgewater, you're, you're talking about an entirely different game. So I'm not going to go too far into the analysis of what the Rams were able to do there. But I'll, I'll give my opinion here, Vinny, is that we, we talked in the last podcast about Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and how you, you have to at least stop one of them. And we talked about how in the NFC championship game, they were able to do both. And tonight, uh, what happened in the game against Saints? What happened? Alvin Kamara, 13 carries, 45 yards, only 15 yards receiving. So his total uh, yardage is 60 yards. Michael Thomas, 89 yards on 10 receptions. So he only averages 8.9 per reception and does not get in the end zone. So I understand. I don't want anybody who listens to this to, to misunderstand uh, with, with Drew Brees being out. But honestly, Vinny, I was still watching that game thinking, you know what? Teddy Bridgewater might be in there, but Alvin Kamara is still in this game. And that guy, I don't care who your quarterback is, that guy still has the opportunity to break open a game. And the Rams really did not allow that to happen, did they? No, Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, a couple of things st- uh, stand out for me. One is, uh, and we, we talked about this, you know, during training camp uh, quite a bit. I felt like the defensive backfield was a major strength uh, for the Rams, not just a, a, a decent strength, but a major strength for the Rams. And I think we're, we've already started to see that th- these first two games. This is we, When was the last time we've talked about Marcus Peters? When was the last time we brought up his name? And that's right. a good thing when it's a cornerback. I mean, right. obviously you want to see some interceptions, but I don't care if he's not getting any interceptions. His guys aren't going off. Um, to, uh, Akib Talib, Nikel Roby Coleman – um, obvious Eric Weddle, John Johnson in run support in coverage. Taylor Rapp has been just a really good football player early on in his career. He's all over the place. He can cover. He can tackle. He's just a heady, heady football player. Marquis Christian. Um, you know, so so when you're talking about stopping those two guys, you have to have you know contributions across the board you have to get pressure on the quarterback you have to cover guys you have to tackle guys so if they do catch the ball or they are running the ball um you know you you, you limit the damage and that's exactly what the rams did and i'm sorry i know that drew Brees wasn't in there that would have changed things you know i don't know about dramatically but probably yeah obviously significantly uh but you know when you can when you can limit kamara to that kind of yardage uh, on the ground and that really has you know, it has something to do with Drew Brees not being in there, but not everything. Uh, the the Rams just did a really good job stopping the run uh, to, you know, on Sunday, um, and and limiting the damage that Michael Thomas can do. So I thought that their line, the defensive line, played well. I thought they got pressure off of the edge, like what I saw from Clay Matthews. Um, I don't think that Dante Fowler got credited with much, but I, I felt his presence. Um, Corey Littleton had another big game and then that secondary was, and obviously Aaron Donald was wreaking havoc, even though it didn't show up on the statistical sheet. He was just a man among boys in the, in the, uh, you know, middle of the, of the lot of the line of scrimmage and, and the defensive backfield I thought played fabulous. 
Right. You just they, they didn't let anything get behind them. And you look at those previous Saints games, you talk about Marcus Peters and, you know, how Michael Thomas, that he was able to get behind those guys and just the big plays. And it just wasn't there. So I think, you know, good scheme. You talk about the the adjustments, you know, this, again, this is how many times have these teams played now? This is the third time since the start of November, right, of, of last year. So, you know, again, like you said, Vinny, you give credit to Sean Payton for the, the adjustments that they made. And, and then the Rams obviously have made some adjustments or maybe even refined what they did against the NFC Championship uh, in the NFC Championship game. So these games, there's always a little bit of, uh, you know, adjustment and readjustment. You're never doing exactly the same thing. But uh, I agree. It's not, you don't always need to see your defensive backs making plays in order for them to be effective. If you if you don't notice a guy like Marcus Peters, uh, it means they're either not throwing to him, which is a good thing, or they or that he's just making plays and his guy's not getting open. So uh, that's that's a good thing too. Corey Littleton shows up again, leads the team with eight tackles. He he had, an, I'm sure, the play that he will remember remember is the interception, just kind of hitting him in the chest, and and uh-huh. he, he could have added another one to to his ledger. So I, I'm sure he will uh, look back on that one and and not be real pleased with himself. But uh, Eric Weddle steps in. We didn't know exactly what to expect there after his difficulty. Uh, last week, but uh, steps in. And Vinny, I noticed a couple times exactly the kind of thing that you talk about is him being on the field, pointing, getting guys lined up, you know, changing assignments at the last minute, showing guys where to go. Uh, I noticed that a few times, and it's it's something you can't really uh, see totally unless you're live and, and can see the whole field. But uh, he definitely has that sense to, to be able to do that. So, uh, again, you know, not bad. You, you look at the Panthers and, and the Saints, and uh, the Rams did a pretty good job in, in both of those games of, of keeping it under control. So um, credit to the defense there. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll look forward to seeing what they can do against Cleveland. But but real quick, Vinny, just to, before we wrap up here, the offensive line. You know, we, we talked about this so much and they got through this game. Uh, and as you said, I, I think they probably even got better as it went along with with Demby being in there. But. What do you do here? Let, let's assume, and again, we're assuming, as you said, let's assume that Austin Blythe is out a couple games. Are you comfortable right now with putting those guys out there? You, you're going to have three very young interior linemen. Obviously, they're getting more experience with, with every game that they play. And then your backups are now based, two rookies, right, basically. Um, are you comfortable with that, or do you maybe now take a peek and, and see what's out there, whether it's waivers or maybe even a trade? Um, how do you think that they're going to look at this maybe going into that Cleveland game? Well, the first thing, um, it has to be, number one, how long do we know that um, Austin's going to be out? Because if if it's not the if it's not an eight week injury or an eight game injury, then he's not going to go on the injured reserve, which means that they're going to have to play shorthanded for a little while uh, on their 53 and which, and that's going to limit what they're going to be able to do, you know, bringing in somebody from the outside. They may have to, you know, promote somebody um, from the, from the, uh, you know, from the practice squad, um, you know, and, and Bobby Evans is probably going to have to dress out now. He hasn't dressed out the first two games. He's the rookie from, from Oklahoma. Um, I think Demby's going to be fine. Um, you know, I liked what I saw today. I thought that he was physical. I thought that, you know, he's, he's really smart. Um, he's versatile. I think his best position is guard. So it worked out for him that he wasn't pressed into duty at tackle uh, or, or center, which he has that, um, you know, in his toolbox as well. But I think he's, he projects more as a, as a guard than, than anything else. So I thought, you know, he looked okay. I think they're going to have to roll with him as the starter for as long as Austin is out. I think that's going to, you know, hopefully Austin, you know, does come back. Um, and, 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 and when he does, you're going to have a pretty strong backup in Jamel Demby because he's going to get a lot of experience here uh, coming up. But as far as going on the outside, I guess the first thing you have to determine, because uh, we're not in that coach's room, how comfortable are you with Jamel Demby as your, as your starting right guard? I thought today, being pressed into duty, they liked what they saw. Um, he, he did a good job, uh, straight out. He did a good job. So, now the question is, can that continue? And if it does, then 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 he's the guy. I know they like Chandler Brewer. He was, um, you know, a, a, a undrafted free agent uh, from Middle Tennessee State, who actually got some starts in the preseason, um, at, you know, at guard and, and moved around. So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets 
called up to the uh, to the regular roster. Um, that means that if if you know if De- if uh, if Austin isn't out for if if that's not an IR injury, then they're going to have to cut somebody if they bring up you know uh, 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 Brewer. So. It'll be interesting to see, but we're going to find out pretty quick what, you know, A, how long um, Austin's going to be out, and B, what's their response to whatever the scenario might be. It'll be interesting, and we're going to start looking ahead to what should be another intriguing game at Cleveland uh, Sunday night. So uh, prime time, I'm sure it'll be a fun atmosphere there, and we will definitely break that down on our on our Friday broadcast podcast. We will go through... Uh, the matchups, and Vinny, I'm not going to name any names yet, but I think we might have a special guest for Friday's podcast, so we, we might uh-huh. have some, some fun with that one, and yes. uh, encourage everybody, that one's uh, just for our subscribers, so if you're if you're on the fence at all, uh, and, and, uh, and our guest comes through, I, I think it'll be an enjoyable uh, listen, so we'll definitely be with you uh, on, on Friday to, to look forward to that Cleveland game. Thanks, everybody. Uh, again, for your for continued support and for all the great reviews and ratings that you've left on iTunes and that sort of thing, we we really appreciate it. And I know, Vinny, we're, we're also excited because uh, The Athletic is, is launching a new podcast. It's a, it's a daily show called The Lead, and they're going to be breaking down the Rams and Saints. Uh, I, I know they were here to, to watch and to uh, kind of give some insight. I'm sure they'll have some insight from the other side, so you can listen with uh, Kavitha Davidson and, and Anders Kelto, and they're they're going to be there every day to to break down the big stories with the help of of all of our writers, over 400 writers now in the athletic staff. So they're they're partnering with the people at Wondery to uh, to produce that great new daily podcast. You're about to hear a preview of the lead. Subscribe to the lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now, so that you don't miss an episode. There's a link in the episode notes that'll take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on the lead. Vinny, I know you're, you're going to be excited to get down to, to Cleveland, right? Yes. We'll, we'll just leave it there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter, of course. Vinny is at Vinny Bonsignor. I am at Rich underscore Hammond. We always enjoy your comments and uh, any suggestions that you might have. For the podcast, we are definitely uh, uh, glad to, to accompany or to bring those in. So one last thing, Vinny, Stan Kroenke wore the tan suit and they won. So one and O with the tan one suit. One and O with the tan suit. We are going to start tracking this. So we'll see what happens in Cleveland and if he keeps rolling with it. So Vinny, you are in charge of figuring out what's going to happen there, okay? I'm putting you on, I am Stan, on it. Stan Kroenke suit watch. I'm on it. Well, thanks, everybody, again. Thanks, Vinny, and we will talk to you on Friday. Take care. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box... Or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guy. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.